sometimes you adjust your sale to go faster, you know, in life or in business, but you cannot control the wind, right? Ever imagine you could be mentored and guided by some of the most influential leaders in business? That's where 40 Minute Mentor comes in. I'm passionate about making business mentorship accessible to everyone. So whether you're just beginning your career or you're looking for advice in taking the leap and starting a new venture, or perhaps you're scaling a rocket ship, this show is designed to cover everything from the ground up in the next 40 minutes. Today's 40 Minute Mentor is Roberta Luca, co-founder of the BAFTA-winning Bossa Studios and host of the Hypercurious podcast. Over the past 10 years, Roberta has turned Bossa Studios into a multi-million dollar games company, and she herself has been named in the Forbes Top 50 Women in Tech. Roberta is a true multi-hyphenate. She's a serial entrepreneur, an angel investor, keynote speaker, podcaster, non-exec, and even a stand-up comic in the making. She's also one of the nicest and most engaging leaders I've had the pleasure of interviewing. I love talking to Roberta. She's so honest about life as a founder and the challenges she's had to overcome, including the strain on her mental health while building a really successful business. So whether you're a founder like me, an aspiring entrepreneur, or perhaps someone who's enjoyed playing games created by Bossa Studios, I'm sure you'll really enjoy the stories Roberta shares today and hopefully you'll benefit from her insightful advice. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with the brilliant Roberta Luca. Roberta, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, James, for having me. Pleasure. It is a real pleasure. So we always like to start this with a quick fire questions to really get a snapshot of your CV. Finish these sentences if you can. So first up, when I was little, I always wanted to be a singer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you still sing? Do you still sing? <laughs> I still sing very badly, but I am going to an experimentation now to learn how to sing properly because I want to go back to my roots. Love that. Love that. Okay. I, I wonder if we'll come back to that at some point in this conversation, but I, <laughs> when I next see you, we'll, we'll have to talk about that more. When starting my career, I wish I'd have known. That the power of networks. So I had a lot of great relationships with people who I worked with in corporates before I became an entrepreneur, but I never really nurtured those. So in hindsight, I really wish I had. That's a really good one. And I think networking has like dirty connotations, but it, it really isn't. And uh, it's something that I think I've, I've, I've learned more and more about over the last few years. So yeah, that, that's a really good one. The deep connections with humans, right? It's like, because you, yes. sometimes you just stick to the work level and then you don't develop the relationship that, you know, that makes you human. And, and eventually you go into different directions of work and then you're like, I like the human person, <laughs> the human being, yes. right? I want to connect back with them. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how just by taking the time to just speak to someone on a level, yeah, it, it just, it can open up so many doors, can't it? Okay. Um, I became an entrepreneur because? Because I was fed up with the corporate world. I've heard that before. <laughs> a very good reason. Uh, and I did the same. I'm most energized at work when I'm? 
When I am creating, brainstorming, collaborating, challenging something that I think should be done better. Um, yeah. Love it. And I, I'm sure we're going to come on to some of those, those qualities that you have, because I know you're a very creative person. And finally, can you share something that we wouldn't learn from your CV, whether that's a perceived failure or a setback in your career that you've learned from? Ah, oh, so many things. Where, where do I start? This is a list of things. I think the, what people don't know enough is the fact that I burned out multiple times. I have a, a very, very high inner critic, which uh, it helps me a lot to achieve great things and to keep on achieving, right? But at the same time, this inner critic really n doesn't allow, well, never used to allow the, the passionate side of me to come and, and embrace me and say, no, 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 it's going too much, right? And, and recently, the last, last couple of years, I learned how to, how to activate my self-compassionate side and be less in, in the burnout, functional burnout mode. Wow. Okay. Was there a particular moment or, or was there a particular thing that has helped you get to that point? Yeah, therapy and coaching. <laughs> so yeah, basically it was like, I, I have no, uh, yeah, I, I'm very okay to ask for help from friends, from, you know, family, from ther therapists. I, I, I just think that we're better human beings when we ask for help. And, uh, and I did that. And that's been great learning about myself and how I roll so that I can control my emotions. Okay, I'm going too much into my high achieving mode. I need to step back a little bit and, and take some uh, days off. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, thank you for sharing that because I'm sure there are lots of people listening to this, particularly after the last year, that have probably suffered from burnout. And uh, it really is as simple as reaching out and, you know, asking for help when you need it. And it's easier said than done, but actually the more we talk about it, I think that the more kind of uh, the less stigma attached to, to, to asking for help there'll be. So thank you. Thanks so much, Roberta. Well, I'm very excited to dig into your amazing career story. And I'm sure we'll come back to some of the things we've touched upon just then. But starting with Bossa Studios, I know you launched that in 2010 gone on to win many awards. You've raised over 30 million in VC funding. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Bossa Studios, what, what you guys do and what the origins of the company are? Yeah, so we started, it's a video games company. So we make video games and our vision is to make people happy. So as simple, as simple as that, right? That's a great so, <laughs> Yeah. So our, our games are typically very lighthearted. They, they have a lot of humor. They're about creation. They're about connecting with others. A lot of the, the YouTubers and influencers and streamers play our games because they are very kind of, they are as, as fun to play as it is to watch. And that's, that's what we started. It, it was, you know, the three of us, me and my two co-founders, they had been uh, making games for most of their lives in large companies, games companies. And I was in different corporates. The last job I had was at Nokia and always involved in things related to product and marketing. And my mission, like together, they, we agreed that you can create and produce games and I can make millions of people know about our games and love our games. So that was kind of the deal. And, and that's what we started. And, you know, it, we found this, I, I mean, it's not a niche, right? Humor is not a niche, but we found this, this area for us that we shine a lot when we create games that are, that have the humor element. 
And at some point we used to say that we are the Monty Python of games because uh, we all about a little bit of dark humor, but a little bit of, you know, kind of tongue in cheek and quite a British humor sometimes. But people love that. And that's, uh, that's what, what we have been making for the last 10 years. Uh, I'm not surprised it's been so successful. That's, that's fant fantastic. And based on your, your experience then, what, what would you say are the key things budding entrepreneurs need to consider before they start a business? Because you, you went from a corporate world to a startup, so that must have been a big transition. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? So I think there are a few things that people consider that are, you need to be aware and to be prepared, but they are, they are less important, which are, and I know there's research about that as well, and I, I myself went into this process, right? So money, so uh, am I going to have money when I don't have a salary? And how do you plan for that? Because you're going to be like one or two years without salary, right? So you, you have to have some reserves. The second thing is uh, capabilities. So am I capable of doing that? I've never done that before. And to be honest, it's like riding a bike, right? You, it's practice. You have to start doing so that you learn how to do it. It's, you know, you can read many business books, but unless you, you do, you know, the, the startup or you start, you, you're never going to learn so much about yourself and everything that you have to do. And the third thing is uh, what we touched on before about connections, right? Am I in the right tribe and do I have the right connections to find people to, to employ, to find the partners, to find investors or whatever? And again, this is something that you have to throw yourself into that and find your way through LinkedIn and find your way through companies like yours, you know, and kind of expand your horizon and be very willing to absorb everything. So I think these are the things kind of, they are the basics, but I think the key thing that people sometimes don't see when they're starting, it's kind of entrepreneurship became this rock star kind of thing, right? Before you would, uh, you would have a band and now you have a company, right? That's a cool thing to do. And the reality is that success is not overnight. So, I mean, building Bossa for the last 10 years and we're not done yet, you know, there's still a lot to, to grow. And you have to, it's a long-term commitment. So you need to have like a very strong why and a very strong connection to what you're doing that is bigger than yourself. Otherwise, when failures happen, which happens, you know, multiple times a month, <laughs> you will question yourself you should, if you should be going back to corporates or going back to your old life, right? So I think these are very, very important kind of deep thinking and mindset and, and you know, working on yourself to be able to, to enjoy the ride for, for the long term. Yeah, that really resonates. And and it, it, I, this has come up on the podcast a few times, but we we get every single day so many people from corporates calling us saying, I want to work in startups, I want to work in scale-ups. And there's a real education piece that comes with that conversation around, do you really, really know what you're letting yourself in for? And are you is this going to give you energy? Do you see yourself being, a, and, and particularly those who that want to start up businesses, as you said, there's so much that goes into it. And I know firsthand what a roller coaster of emotions it can be. But if you don't love what you do, and if you don't have that kind of resilience, it's not going to work really because it's not all it's not all fun let's be honest so yeah fantastic advice you've got through some of the hard times and you've built this multi-million pound business you've won a BAFTA which I can't say I've ever met anyone else that has won a BAFTA in 2012 how have you managed to have so much success so quickly you know that's two years after you set the business up and what are some of the secrets from your success that that other scale-up founders other entrepreneurial people listening to this can can learn from 
It's a very good question because I think we we have this notion that you the more effort you make, the more money or the more successful you're going to be, right? And and I was reading um, a research from the MIT the other day showing that how much luck is involved on on everything you do, right? It's not only startups, but you know anything that you you consider making money, right? They were calling like success equals money, which I don't agree, but you know talking about making money in life. And I think the when I look back in 2012, there were a couple of things. So one, it was a massive surprise to us. We we were like, yeah, two years into the journey. We had only launched one game. And then suddenly we were nominated for three categories, I think. Yeah, three categories. And we, we won one of the categories. And, and I remember exactly that moment. It was like sitting on, in the audience and then they called us. The winner is Monster Mind, which is the game that we won for. And my mind went like, you know, all over the place. <laughs> like, really? Is this really happening to me? Is this a dream? And when I look back, I think, I think the key thing was, well, we, we created a game that we thought would be amazing. And... We had like, you know, millions of people playing that and there was like good reach and etc. But also I think sometimes you adjust your sale to go faster, you know, in life or in business, but you cannot control the wind, right? So like, I think there was a little bit of luck there that, you know, our competitors were not as good as ours perhaps, right? And and the people who were judging, they really felt that that game really resonated with them so much. It was highly creative. It was, it was actually really good, right? But I'm biased yeah. to say that. Yeah, of course. Um, but you clearly was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and... and but but that's the thing is like you you don't know you can't control the wind we we adjusted the, the sales we created the best boat we could we of course were aware of the the market that we were going for and you know there was a lot of thinking about the the game that we wanted to create and the way that it was executed in market but we we cannot control the wind and then you know the wind blew into the right angle of our sail and and we got it amazing. Did that put you under more pressure out of interest? Yeah, you, you winning awards so early into that journey. How did you handle that? Because w- was there then a sense of, oh no, we, we now have to do something even better to get another BAFTA the next year? Or, or, or was it just, you know, take it for what it is and, and just keep going? I think we were very humble because we were such in the beginning of the journey. So we're like, we don't want to peak now, you know? There's that sense of like there's lots for us to be done to for us to do and like eventually that game we had to shut down because it was not even making enough money to sustain long term right so which which you do when you're a games company you you launch multiple games and all of them are going to be successful and that's the you know that's the rule of the game so for us it was we we try to be very grounded on being very grateful and kind of making sure that the that we show that in the culture of the company and to every employee to say, look, we haven't picked yet. There's a lot to prove. There's a lot to be done. You know, this is just the beginning of our journey. So I I, I don't think we ever took it for granted. But what, what really, really helped us was to put boss in the map, right? Suddenly, we were not like, you know, another games company that just arised, right? You know, with a, a few people in, in, in a bedroom making a game. We were uh, experienced uh, people who had been working in in companies before. We knew a little bit what we're doing, right? Not everything, but uh, and and we also won a BAFTA. So suddenly uh, the doors start to open because you stand out from the crowd. 
And I think the point about staying humble and not letting it get to your head is is a really important part, isn't it? Because you do see in startup world, plaudits, you know, awards come at you and 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 it can take you off course. So I think sticking to your roots and staying grounded and, and just keeping building, keep going forward is so important. I wanted to talk about hiring, obviously a topic that I care about a lot. And it's often seen as one of the hardest parts of growing a startup, um, hence why we, we're in business, I guess. So you grew the business to, to over 70 people in, in 10 years. What are some of the attributes that you look for when you're hiring? And, and have you got some learnings from, from scaling Boston Studios in terms of how you can build that sort of high-performing team that you clearly have created? Look, it changes a lot, right? The type of people and the way you hire uh, right in the beginning is completely different to what we do nowadays, right? And you know that it's like in the, in the beginning, it was very good feeling. It was all about the attitude. It was all about like people who are hungry to make something big in the world. It's not about salaries, about equities, about, you know, the drive and, and, and everything around that and the passion. And then gradually you have to have like a team and you start to, to hire like the heads of the managers, the people. So you, as a founder, you, you're not directly managing the people who are doing the work anymore, right? You, the more you grow, the more you're managing the manager. So your hiring process needs to be completely different and it cannot be so much reliant on you, even though we're still small enough that, you know, it, it's important that at least one founder is part of the process, depending on the role that we, we hire. So, so it, it really, really, it's very different. But I think the key thing as founders listening to us now is to know your strengths, right? It's like, I'm very good at spotting those kind of people who, who are going to become amazing or like, you know, early stars and, and gut feeling and let's do this together right in the beginning. I'm not very good at processes and kind of following through like, do they have these set of skills or not? Which, you know, I'm very glad that we have amazing HR people and amazing people who can support us right now to do those things. So I think that awareness is very, very important in hiring. But I think there's another thing that people usually don't talk about. I was talking to another entrepreneur on Instagram the other day is kind of the, this range of talents that you bring to your company that, you know, it's very easy to know the, the ones who, who are not performing at all, right? In the, the first, whatever, three to six months. And you usually have the superstars, but then there's, there's like a group of people who sometimes are not performing as well. And entrepreneurs are typically optimists, right? And then we look at them as like, oh, we're going to do something for them to perform better, right? And then we end up neglecting your superstars because they're the ones you need to focus on. Because if you focus on your superstars, they're going to be 10, 100 times better. And, and that's the type of organization that you want to create. And, and of course, with, with the ones that are not working, you have to be honest, the sooner the better, right? And I know a lot of people say, yeah, hire slowly and fire fast, right? But it's difficult to practice on the day-to-day -day that, that kind of motto. But if you think from the perspective, of you are releasing, you know, two souls from something that is not working because it might not be them or it might not be you. It's just a combination of the company with the person. It's just not working out. So just release it, let it go. And then, you know, focus on, on the people who are actually performing best. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that I, I've learned from, from my time running a business. And, and there have been times in the past where we've probably held on too long out of loyalty and, you know, good feeling, but just actually 
businesses evolve and, and there are different people for different stages. And I think as long as you do things in a human, empathetic way, when it's time to say goodbye, then typically it will, it will be okay. You've had plenty of highs. We talked about some of the, the best bits on your journey, but there are always challenges when it comes to entrepreneurial life. So were there any particular sort of failures or, or difficult moments from the past 10 years that you've really learned from that you can share with our listeners? <laughs> so many. Uh, so <laughs> our, uh, I'm going to give you a little, a little bit of context here. So the way that we create games is very, is somewhat different to a lot of games companies and a lot of startups, right? Startups usually have, or typically have one product and one platform or one product that they develop. And, and as a games company, we have a portfolio of products. So we basically, we are startup every year when we launch a new game. <laughs> so Every new game is is a new product, right? So for us, and and then we created like a you know a, an engine, a creative engine, which is like a funnel. So we do a lot of game jams, which are like hackathons. We create games, like tons of prototypes. Like we have hundreds of prototypes created over the last ten years. And then we do some sort of a audience validation. And then from that, we choose a few that go into production, and then we invest heavily into marketing that and kind of growing, right? Through that, it makes everything, well, we increase our chances of having hits, but we also increase the amount of failures, right? So there's a lot of games that did not go well. And there was, uh, yeah, there was one in particular that was very hard for us because it was a really big game. We had a lot of resources committed and we had a lot of, uh, you know, that feeling of, oh my God, we invested so much into that. There's always something that you you think it's not the end of the road. There's all oh, there's that feature that we're gonna do. There's that different way to market the product. There's, you know, always like that thing. And then we started bleeding the company, basically, right? It was like a moment that it was just a lot of money, a lot of resources into that. It was a very tough decision for all of us because we are emotionally connected to that. And and gladly we have uh, we have always had very good people in our on our board with investors and stuff that were very supportive of the decision. And so we had to stop and, you know, and I don't know if I can, I can say this here, but suck it up. <laughs> like, that's it, you know? Thank you for sharing. I think it's, it's important to talk about the challenges that have overcome as well as the, the good stuff. And it's often where you, you know, you improve as a leader and you get stronger as a business. So uh, thank you. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that's recently launched. The Solo Collective. Hosted by Rebecca Seal, journalist, broadcaster and author of the book Solo, How to Work Alone and Not Lose Your Mind, the series is here for anyone who works alone, which let's face it, is pretty common at the moment. As more and more of us find ourselves becoming solo workers, whether by choice or circumstance, these conversations should help all of us navigate our solitary working days without feeling lonely. The series so far has seen some really interesting guests, including Laurie Santos from Yale's Happiness Lab, interior designer Oliver Heath, who talks about how your environment can make you more productive, and an episode I particularly enjoyed with Henry Holland, which covers everything he's learned as a solo entrepreneur, from building an empire from the ground up, to surrounding yourself with the right people to propel you into a positive future. To listen to the episode, just search The Solo Collective wherever you get your podcasts. Roberto, I wanted to talk a bit about a topic that I know is close to your heart, and, and that's, that's DNI, which are top, you know regularly comes up on this podcast. You know, working in the tech sector, we still know there's a lot of work to be done. 
from your experience, what are the major barriers holding women back from progressing in tech at the moment? And what do you think can be done to improve the industry in respects to DNI? I think there are many levels to that, right? There's the individual level, company level, society level. If I look from the individual level perspective, what we need to do is, is to basically step up. We need to be better leaders, be better listeners, be a challenger, you know, to say no companies that we work with on hiring, challenge them. No, that's not good enough. We need diversity here on the candidates that, you, that you're sending and create a culture that is inclusive, right? And, and make sure that people know that they are welcome there. And you do that via the way that you portray your, yourself on your website, on events that you attend and, you know, like your, your HR, everyone who's connecting somehow to the wider world. So I think that's, uh, we need to step up on that, on that perspective. On the more of a, of a company level, I think there are some things to bear in mind. And I came across this um, psychology kind of reference, which is called attribution theory. I don't know if you heard about that. And the attribution theory basically shows that, again, generalizing, right? Or typically, men, when they communicate their successes, they attribute the successes to themselves, and when they communicate failures, they attribute to others something that they cannot control. And women are the opposite. When we talk about successes, we say, oh, it was my team, it was the environment, it was whatever, right? My support. And they don't attribute to themselves. And they do the opposite side with failures, right? And I think as a company, we need to perceive those nuances of communication and so we can give, you know, the, the right incentives and the right training and the right, you know, sometimes a pep talk to say, hey, you, you're totally diminishing yourself. You were responsible for that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I had yeah, these pep totally. talks with, with, with women before I boss. It was like, no, that was you. If you weren't there leading that project and that, you know, campaign it wouldn't get to, you know, the amazing things that we got. And, and so I think it, it's, that's very important for us to, to, to understand that level in a company perspective, right? And then society, there are so many things. Like it starts from uh, parental leave, right? It's like childcare. You, you still, we still, still in the UK, we have a, a very discrepancy between maternity leave and paternity leave. And so... How do we offset that in the company? At Boston right now, we have uh, one, we look at the primary carer. So if you're the primary carer, you're going to have the same maternity leave length. And two, the paternity leave is three months. It's not like two weeks or whatever it is in, in the UK right now. So, so those things, I think, you know, you start balancing things out from a gender perspective and then, you know, you go into everything else about race and, and nationalities and everything that you have to do to, to accommodate and to create a, a company that is, uh, is welcoming people from all over the world and all, all genders and, and types and whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's... it's it, it... It's, it's brilliant. It's great to hear what you guys have done in that respect. I think it's um, there's definitely a movement to improving some of these things that have, frankly, been been pretty shoddy for a long time. And um, uh, so I think I think we're making some progress, but there is lots more to be done. I think you're right. It, it starts at a societal level, but every one of us, you know, that, that run companies can also kind of do our bit to move things forward. Just one more thing that I, I think it's important for that, and feel free to include it or not, but 
I know it's been said multiple times about the the importance of role models, right? And it became like everyone talks about the importance of role models. But it is fundamental. It's fundamental. The reason why I'm a high achiever and I believe I'm going to make things happen regardless of my gender, regardless of my, my nationality, is because I grew up with a very strong person who raised me. My mom is a mega high achiever. So I was seeing that, you know, that was possible as I was growing up. But the reality is that not everyone in the world has that strong role model in their lives. And so we all are role models either we want it or not. So it's very important for us to be communicating what we're doing as much as doing what we're doing. I completely agree. And that, that is exactly why we need to see more women at, uh, on boards. We need to see more black VCs uh, and, and people of different ethnicity and sexual orientation in positions of power and authority. And it just, it needs to be the norm because our society is so diverse you know, our businesses need to be as well. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I, it's something we're having a lot of conversations with our clients about at the moment when it comes to exec search. And I think, yeah, we can all play our part to, to move that forward. I wanted to talk a bit about mental health. It's obviously something particularly in the past year with, with the national lockdowns that has, has affected us all. And, and on your YouTube channel, you've spoken a lot about it and, and the loneliness that comes with being an entrepreneur, which is as a solo founder, something I know about, having worked at the kitchen table in Clapham, speaking to the walls for the first two years, what has helped you through the difficult periods of your career, those, those lonely times? And have you got any advice for any founders that are feeling that way at the moment? Yes, totally. I did pick up and these were, so I talked about anxiety and loneliness on my YouTube channel, and these were the most difficult videos to be made. I remember because I was like, do I share that with people? Am I going to be that vulnerable? Uh, will people think that I'm like, you know, I have no friends, you know, all sorts of things that go into your mind about what people are going to think about that. But I'm so glad that I did because I had so many people contacting me and DMing me and saying, oh my God, I feel the same. I'm so happy that you shared and etc. And it is the disease of the now, right? We are isolated, we are feeling cravings of connections, you know, looking at people through, through screens is not the same thing. Th this research that was done that basically when you are connecting with someone face to face, you can read the, the, the face of the person and you can see the wrinkles of their smile and that creates trust. And when we're doing this, it's like, there's no amazing Wi-Fi connection that I will be able to see the crinkle of your eyes, right? So those things really, really matter. And it makes us feel even, even more lonely, right? So I, I think it's, uh, it is part of the process, what we're living right now. And it's, it's about going back to the basics. I've learned to be, you know, way more vulnerable to people, but I learned how to really take the time to say, I, I'm going to call my mom today. I'm going to call my sister. I'm going to give enough time to my best friend. You know, all of those things that really feed your soul from a, from a connection and human perspective, we need to start opening time of our days to do that. Otherwise we will feel worse, right? And it's a, it, it's a vicious circle because the, the less you connect, the, the more afraid you feel that, you know, when you share people, will people listen to you? So there's all sorts of things that go in your head. I learned something 
in therapy that was really helpful that we have uh, three emotional systems in our brain. One is the drive, the other one is the threat, and the other one is the soothing system. And a lot of entrepreneurs stay a lot of time between the, the drive and the threat because they are what creates the dopamine and then creates the cortisol for you to, you know, I'm always in fight or flight moments. I'm always driving really, really fast. And you totally neglect the path of the soothing, right? Which is a very important pathway for your brain and a very important thing for human beings. You need to feel the oxytocin. You need to feel connected to something bigger, to spiritually or, or you know, with the with your family and friends. And I think that side of the things are things that we neglect as entrepreneurs. And, and that's the side that it's the building blocks for you to be a better human being. Yeah, I, I think so many people listening to this will be inspired by what you're saying. And, and I hope we'll, we'll take some of this on board. And it's funny, I, I, you know, I'm very lucky. I have a wonderful wife, a wonderful daughter, many friends, a great team, you know, and I'm lucky to have lots of clients, candidates that I, I treat as friends, but there have still been moments in my, you know, eight years of running JBM where I felt incredibly lonely. And it's actually me. It's not them. I know they'd be there for me, but it's that kind of founder mentality which is completely wrong of, I've just got to, I've got to deal with this myself. I've just got to get my head down and work through it. And I don't want to burden anyone with, with the stresses I'm feeling. And it's amazing how it can kind of build up. And I found myself from opening up more, being more vulnerable. Actually, there's so much support out there and it, it really does lift your mood and make you feel better. So I think it's great we're, we're able to talk more openly about these sorts of things. And thank you for, for sharing your, your experience. I wanted to add that, you know what, there's, there's another element to that as well, that we, we believe that we have to do, we have to be entrepreneurs 100% of the time so that we're going to be successful. And actually, when you don't do that, when you are spending some of your time doing something completely different. So over the years, I every time that I felt like burnout or loneliness or whatever, I did like stand-up comedy classes. I did improv theater. I did like <laughs> shoe design. You know, I started to, you know, do things that were completely unrelated to what I was doing the day-to-day. And you know what, James, the, the, the most impressive thing is that I remember the best light bulb moments that I had about being a bad entrepreneur were when I was in the middle of the stand-up comedy class. Yes, love that. Suddenly, see, like, that's, that's something so clicked and like, ah! <laughs> yeah, you get yourself out of the, the day-to-day grind, try different things. Do you know what? And I, I need to listen to this advice because I'm guilty of... Just getting in the work. And, and for me, it's kind of, it's family time and it's work and uh, and sadly kind of spending time with my friends and it sometimes goes out the window. But actually, uh, you get such joy from trying new things. You get such joy from dinner and drinks with friends and traveling to countries and doing all the things you should do when you're young. And I think, yeah, that's definitely great advice. And, and I think it does spark inspiration, doesn't it? When you're just doing something different. Love that. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I've got the... Uh, I'm brave enough to, to, to do stand-up or improv, but maybe maybe I'll try now. Maybe try I'll try it. Try it. <laughs> <laughs> you are a truly multi-hyphen entrepreneur. You know, now I know you're a comedian as well, but founder, investor, keynote speaker, podcaster, all these wonderful things you do. How do you juggle all the, these commitments and and still get that sense of balance? Because what you've just said, you know, is so wonderful to hear, but it is it can be difficult to do it all. So 
is there any any pointers for anyone listening that wants to to replicate that multi-hyphen lifestyle? <laughs> I, I get this question a lot because people are like, but how can you find time for all of this, right? <laughs> so one trick is I don't have kids. So that definitely opens up more time. <laughs> and I have a husband, so we kind of share the load, right? So that is uh, one thing that it's it's to my advantage in a way. <laughs> but I I learned how to compartmentalize everything. And I learned two very practical things. One is to create time blocks in your calendar for the things that matter most, right? And there's this uh, brilliant analogy about the rock, the sand, and the, and the, and the water, right? Which is like you, you put the rocks first and the sand and then the water in, in a pot, otherwise you cannot fit everything. And constantly I'm challenging myself to know if my rocks are the right ones because you don't want to put the stuff in your calendar or in your, in your time, there are rocks, but actually they're not helping you move forward to what your goals are, right? So this is really important. And I challenge that. I revisit that every three months. So this is very important. The other thing is having an executive assistant. Like that is night and day when I, <laughs> when I decided to Game go changer. for that. Oh my God. It was like, I always thought it was a luxury. It's like, no, but you know, founders don't have that unless, you know, you're a corporate <laughs> or you like in series E or whatever. And, and that made a huge difference. So he, she really helps me with the buffering a lot of things that I'm, I would normally don't say no to. And so yeah. she, she kind of, she can deal with, with a lot of those. And being able to, to really to say, look, these are the days that I'm going to be doing I don't know, operational side of my company. These are the days that I'm going to be fully dedicated to my podcast. And, you know, weekends and evenings are all about angel investing and public speaking. Nowadays, I've been in a transition to from being an operator to becoming an non-exec. So I had to go through this again. I was like, wait a minute, I'm not going to have one day that I'm just going to do Hyper Curious, my podcast. I can do any day, so how yeah. am I going to arrange this, Brilliant. right? <laughs> and, and so I think the practical thing, the best tip that I give for people who have these multiple projects is to be very strict about the time that you allocate to, to each and then it's possible. I could talk to you for hours, but we're, we're sadly coming towards the end of our chat. I wanted to quickly talk about your role as, a, as an angel investor, because I know you advise a lot of startups, you invest in a number of them. There are going to be people listening to this that probably want to pitch to angels and investors. So what do you look for in businesses that you invest and, and also founders before you invest your time and your money? I primarily look at Two things. So one, I, I mainly invest in B2C companies because that's, you know, the area that I know best. B2B really, it's very difficult for me because I wouldn't be able to add value. But also, I, and, and of course, diverse teams, right? I do have like a, a very conscious bias to make sure that I have a portfolio that is really like diverse. And I look at, at founders who have a very, very strong why, like I need to talk to them and, and see their eyes, you know, that's something that, you know, it's coming from inside. It's something that really matters to them, that it, it's a problem that, you know, they've suffered, their family suffered or whatever it is that it's just not, they're not doing for, you know, to, to become a rock star, but they're doing because there's something, you know, it's coming from a struggle, 
And I, I need to see that because I just think that that's what you latch on. As, as an entrepreneur myself, right, over the years, you have to latch on something that is bigger than yourself when the time is tough. So these are the primary things. Thank you. And, and before we get on to our wrap-up questions, you know, you're investing in the, in, the, in the tech scene. You've been a part of it for a while. We've obviously been through a bit of a traumatic <laughs> year and a bit uh, with everything that's gone on with our, but it does seem post-COVID, post-Brexit that, that, that things are booming again or, or certainly on the way to hopefully getting better. So how are you feeling about the, the, the future of the UK tech scene? And are there any particular trends or startups that you're particularly excited about? Wow, I am one. I'm very excited to be back to the world, <laughs> like as a as an extrovert. Face to face coffees, oh yes. Oh my god, as an extrovert Brazilian, like you know, all about connection, creative. I need people, you know. It's it's yeah. This is like in, incredibly, like my energy levels are going from you know very low in the beginning of the year to now kind of getting to the peak again, to who I, I truly am. So so that that's really important. I feel that we we learn so much to do the things in a much more optimized way, you know. At Bossa, we reduced our space because a lot of people prefer to continue to work from home. And we recreated the space to be a much more fluid and, you know, lots of different spaces for you to engage with others. So when people go to the office as an event, there's something, you know, that they look forward to. So I think from a, a culture perspective in companies, we're in, in a much, much better position in terms of tools, in terms of the way that we interact and, and the, the flexibility that we give to people to live their lives around the work as opposed to, you know, the, the other way around. And, and so I'm very hopeful. I, I'm, look, I look at pitches like every single day. And I get very excited about, you know, founders and companies that are creating the new products and new B2C opportunities that people will be using like in a few years time. So I'm excited by, I can name names, but you know, it's, uh, it's not going to be helpful. But I, I do feel that there's, there's a lot of creativity, there's a lot of innovation coming out of that, that feeling of, uh, of adversity. When we are going through adversity, that's when we're most creative. And I think entrepreneurs thrive on that. Completely. And, I, and it goes to show some of the biggest tech companies in the world came out of the last financial crisis, didn't they? So uh, it's definitely a time where I think uh, people get their uh, entrepreneurial juices flowing in, uh, and, and can create some fantastic businesses. Fantastic. Well, we are sadly at the end of our, our chat, Roberta, but um, I have three final wrap up questions. The first one is about mentorship, unsurprisingly. Do you have a mentor and how have they helped you in your career to date? And, and the second part of that question is, if you could be mentored by anyone, who would it be? So I do have a mentor. He's much older than me and it's informal. So for everyone who's looking for a mentor, don't go around and say, I want you to be your mentor. Just, you know, build a good relationship with someone who you admire and, you know, treat them as a mentor. So that's the best way. And it's fantastic to have him as a mentor because he's, he's like so wise and like, oh my God, why I was thinking like that. So anyway, that's great challenger for me. And I am very uh, keen to learn how to be a good singer. So, and I'm a big fan of David Bowie, as you can see from all of the love, lightning bolts that are around me. I your hearing. <laughs> so if he was alive, I would love him to be my mentor. That is such a good answer. Great. No one said that yet. So uh, well done. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
given all the success you've had, I'd love to know, what, what do you want to be remembered for at the end of your career? I want to be remembered for creating a platform or message or, you know, something that help people to be more positive in life and to be, you know, happier themselves, to be able to shape their emotions, to to be more connected as human beings, have more self-awareness and more, you know, grounded uh, level happiness with, you know, putting their lenses, the rose lenses more often than the black lenses and looking to the world from a, a more positive reality. So if I can create something like that, either via, you know, hypercure, social media, public speaking, you know, singing, whatever, I'll be happy. That is such a wonderful answer. And as someone that kind of has always been a very positive, optimistic person that always tries to, you know, see the best in everything, uh, it really resonates with me. And before we finish up, any advice or, or what would be your final piece of advice for anyone that's thinking about creating a startup what would you leave them with do it like if you're thinking about that uh, and of course you know don't don't do it without having the the reserves of money please don't uh, but you know if you <laughs> disclaimer. have the, the disclaimer exactly do it if if you feel the urge to do that it's like you're only going to know if you experiment you're only going to know if you throw yourself into that even if you give yourself one one year you know to see how you feel maybe you you finished and you're like yeah that's not for me i'm going to go back to have a job you know you it's uh, life is short so you have to you have to follow the things that you're passionate about brilliant and i think it's it's so true if you give it a go there's there's very little downside from trying right i think you learn a lot from trying to start up a business and even if it doesn't prove to be you know the, the next unicorn uh, you'll probably be a better professional for it uh, just from the experience Roberta, it's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you for, for being a 40-minute mentor today. Very excited to hopefully meet in person at some point and uh, see what, what you bring to the world in the, in the next few months. And I can't wait to buy the, the album when you release it as well. Oh so, my God, um, <laughs> future. The future no self. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure to be. Cheers. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.